You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. It's my great pleasure to welcome again the Reverend Courtney Harris, uh, who has graciously agreed to uh, bring us God's word, and so we are very thankful. Thank you. Let me hand you this, sir. Also put that on. Yeah. Here, let me just put that on there. I'll give you that. Thank you. Well, thank you for the privilege of being here. I ask you to turn with me to the um, prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 32. Isaiah, chapter 32. Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness, and princes shall rule in judgment. And a man shall be as a hiding place from the wind, and a covert from the tempest, as rivers of water in a dry place, as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. And the eyes of them that see shall not be dim, and the ears of them that hear shall hearken. The heart also of the rash shall understand knowledge, and the tongue of the stammerers shall be ready to speak plainly. The vile person shall be no more called liberal, nor the churl said to be bountiful. For the vile person will speak villainy, and his heart will work iniquity to practice hypocrisy and to utter error against the Lord, to make empty the soul of the hungry, and he will cause the drink of the thirsty to fail. The instruments also of the churl are evil. He deviseth wicked devices to destroy the poor with lying words, even when the needy speaketh right. But the liberal deviseth liberal things, and by liberal things shall he stand. Rise up, ye women, that are at ease. Hear my voice, ye careless daughters. Give ear unto my speech. Many days and years shall you be troubled, ye careless women, for the vintage shall fail, the gathering shall not come. Tremble, ye women, that are at ease. Be troubled, ye careless ones. Strip you, make you bare, Gird sackcloth upon your loins. They shall lament for the teats, for the pleasant fields, for the fruitful vine. Upon the land of my people shall come up thorns and briars, yea, upon all the houses of joy in the joyous city, because the palaces shall be forsaken. The multitude of the city shall be left. The forts and towers shall be for dens forever, a joy of wild asses, a pasture of flocks, until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high, 
and the wilderness be a fruitful field, and the fruitful field be counted for a forest. Then judgment shall dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness remain in the fruitful field, and the work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness quietness and assurance for ever, and my people shall dwell in a peaceable habitation, and in sure dwellings, and in quiet resting places, when it shall hail coming down on the forest, and the city shall be low, low in a low place. Blessed are you that sow beside all waters, that send forth thither the feet of the ox and the ass. So may God speak to us. Let us pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for thy precious word. We thank you again for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for those words that remind us that he, the Spirit, shall lead us into all truth. And we pray for that help and that strength and that guidance and that filling of the Holy Spirit here this morning that we may understand thy word, not only taking it into our heads, but receiving it into our hearts and putting it into practice by the help of God. Oh, Lord, come to us now. Open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of thy law, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. A difficult chapter. Difficult to read, difficult to understand, difficult to apply. <clears throat> but we're reminded in the previous chapter, which I didn't read, of the woes, of the judgment of God that will fall upon his people because of their backsliding and hardness of heart. And we're reminded in this chapter not only of the anger and the wrath of a holy God, but we're reminded that in mercy he will look down upon his people when they cry to him and he will visit them in a very special and unique way. And I want us this morning to think of that special and unique way in which God will visit his church, will visit his people, when they seek him. And in the middle of Isaiah 32, you have these words <clears throat> in verse 15, where the whole picture is completely changed, a picture of woe, a picture of devastation, a picture of material poverty, a picture of spiritual barrenness. It's all there in the previous chapters, and in this chapter. And then the whole picture is completely changed by these wonderful words, verse 15, until. Now I want you to hold on to that word this morning. Until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high. And I believe that this word would come to us for this coming new year. For you as a church, and for the churches in our land, which are in such great need, I don't know whether we really understand the spiritual state of our land at this time. I read this week an official report, which report, reports that in the last months, 
the last year particularly, over 400 Anglican churches have closed their doors. That's only Anglican. And you think of the other denominations, churches we hear of closing, closing, closing. Now what's the problem? What's the solution? That's my question this morning to your heart and mine. And I believe it is found in verse 15, until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high. And that, beloved, is what you should be working for and praying for in this fellowship here in Gloucester. A picture of total devastation, total poverty, but thank God it will not always be so. The Sovereign Lord will hear and in past years and generations has heard the earnest cry of his people. And so my theme and my burden and my longing as I would travel through the country again this coming year preaching God's word is to strike this one note to you beloved this morning, to our hearts together, that we would seek the Lord with all our heart, that we would seek that outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the work. A glorious possibility we're reminded of here, which will lead to a glorious prospect. The whole picture can be reversed, can be changed. Have you ever read histories of revival? You should do, beloved. You should get hold of these books where we read of the mighty workings of God by His Spirit, where a whole neighborhood, a whole district, a whole generation is completely changed when the Spirit of God comes down among His people. Now I want us to just lay hold upon these words this morning. Until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high. And I want to ask you, as I would ask myself, dear friend, this morning, is there a stirring in your heart, even as I read these words? Is there a longing? Is there a cry? Is there a burden here this morning? And so the first lesson is the necessity of an earnest cry. Until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high. Remember God speaking in 2 Chronicles 7, those wonderful and famous words, verse 13. If I shut up the heavens that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, but the whole situation, God says, can be changed. Where? How? If my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then, then will I hear from heaven and pour out such a blessing. We read that great cry in Isaiah 64. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens and come down. Is that your longing for this new year? Upon this fellowship? Upon the churches in this area? Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens. Remember those famous words that I heard Dr. Lloyd-Jones say? God waits to hear the oh of his people. And we've lost that 
in some measure, I believe. Oh, we've tried everything else. We've tried everything else. But Lord, it doesn't happen. We're not seeing the revival. We're not seeing the conversions. We're not seeing the multitudes coming into the... Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens. Isaiah 62, for Zion's sake will I not hold my peace. For Jerusalem's sake I will not rest. I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence. What words? And give him no rest. And so we're encouraged, as it were, to go into the battle, to go into the fight, seeking the face of God, because the situation, oh Lord, is serious. All around us, souls are perishing going to a lost eternity. And we sit back with ease and with comfort. All oh, those words need to grip us, beloved, this morning. Give him no rest until he make himself known. And you might say, well, why get so heated? Why get so emotional? I'll tell you why, beloved. Because the need all around us promotes this cry. Would you not agree? The need all around us, the houses that you and I can see from this room this morning, there were needy, precious souls rushing to an eternity. Heaven or hell. The need all around us promotes this cry until the Spirit until a true spiritual work will stem the tide of iniquity. Iniquity. Not means. Not methods. Because of today's situation, many, many churches are trying everything and anything to bring the blessing. And yet the blessing does not come. And the multitudes are not sweeping into our churches to hear the gospel. This is the word of the Lord, Zechariah 4, 6. Unto Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And so, beloved, I believe that in some measure we have lost confidence in the Word of God, in the Word of God, we've lost confidence in that book, the Word of God. We've lost some confidence, I believe, in the power of prayer. I can remember when as churches we used to have all-night prayer meetings. Have you ever heard of such a term? We used to say all night, and we used to pray, pray. We've lost that sense, I believe, of the power of God. And some of the saddest words in the New Testament are found for us in Matthew 13, 58. He did not many mighty miracles there because of their unbelief. 
I don't know the spiritual state of this fellowship, but I'm sure, beloved, that you long to see every chair filled. I'm sure that you long to see the day when the crowds will stream in and you will not have enough room. And you say, well, that's not possible. Why not? Why not, beloved? Why not? The need all around us promotes this cry. However much you may think that I'm emotional and rather upheated. The evidence of a spiritual outpouring and the wilderness will be fruitful field, we read, and the fruitful field will be counted for a forest. So it's a complete contrast to what it was. Now the Spirit of God has come, fallen down and where there was barrenness and hardness and apathy and indifference, the whole picture is changed. Fruitful fields. Fruitful fields. Wilderness turned into something profitable. Nye Bevan spoke of so many empty chapels in Wales at one time, and he said they were as rows of extinct volcanoes. And someone added afterwards, our God is the God of eruption upon the extinct volcanoes, and he shall suddenly come. The American Revival in 1858, ships, as they drew near the American ports, seemed to come into a zone of the presence of God and the Spirit's influence. Jonathan Edwards in Massachusetts in 1735 says the town seemed to be full of the presence of God. Do we find that now? As you walk through Gloucester, Cheltenham, Winchcombe, do we find that? Not at all. Not at all. Reverend Duncan Campbell, who some of us knew, asked what was the outstanding feature of the 1949-53 revival on the Isle of Lewis. And he summed it up, an awareness of God. That's all he said. And I've been to the Isle of Lewis. And I've heard some of the testimonies. And I've met with the people. And I've preached there. An awareness of God. Oh, that we might be able to say, this is none other than the house of God. This is as the gate of heaven. Who does not but long for such days? Such days here in the farmer's arms. As people crowd in to hear the gospel. And there's a sense of the presence of God. Don't you long for that, beloved? And fourthly, the effect of the outpouring of the Spirit, firstly, upon the ministers of Christ. Let me repeat that. Until the Spirit be poured out upon us from on high, the effect of the outworking of the anointing of the Spirit, firstly, upon the ministers of Christ. They will change. 
They will be changed. Their ministry will be changed. There will be power. There will be a sense of the presence of God through the preaching. It's not a time of entertainment. It's a time of preaching the eternal, everlasting gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There will be an enlarging of their hearts in preaching. Suddenly, those in the pulpit will come, as it were, alive. Not with human emotion, not with lots of jokes and stories, but suddenly, the preacher, you will know, is a man sent from God. There'll be something of fire upon the preaching, the whole service. You remember how the Apostle Paul puts it so clearly in 1 Corinthians 2? And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom but, here it is, beloved, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Oh, get preachers like that in the pulpit. Men anointed, filled with the Spirit of God, preaching with power. Richard Baxter, famous preacher, just go down the road to Kidderminster. There is his statue. Richard Baxter. There can be nothing, he says, more indecent than to see a dead preacher preaching to dead sinners the living truth of the living God. How much you ought to pray for the preachers. They've not come, they've not been booked up to entertain you, beloved. We trust that they've come as men of God from the throne room with anointed ministry, and they preach with power. Robert Murray McChain says, this is the reason why many good men have a barren ministry. They speak from a clear head knowledge or from a past experience, but not from a present sight of the Lamb of God. Hence their words fall like a shower of snow, fair, and beautiful, but cold and freezing. Secondly, the ministers of the gospel, when the Spirit comes, will have a freedom from the fear of men. You might think that's strange, but there are those in our pulpits today who stand to preach and minister to God's people, but they have a fear of men. It's a terrible snare to get involved in. What an awful trap in the Christian ministry to have the fear of men. Charles Bridges famously says, we cease to fear the face of men when we realize the presence and power of God. Many those who minister love to have the praises of men and the popularity than to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. When the Spirit is poured out 
from on high. Fear will go. Fear will go. I remember sitting in the vicarage with a godly man of God, further up, a preacher further up the country, some years ago. And he was being threatened because of his faithfulness in preaching the word of God. And he was about to lose his home, his family. Where were they going to go? We don't know, they said to me. We don't know. We've got no idea. We've, got, we've been told we have to leave because we're faithful to the Word of God. And I've known numbers of ministers, dear friends, who've had to face up to this. It's either fear of God or the fear of men. Which will it be? Until the Spirit be poured out. And I've known some of those men who've taken such courageous steps for the cause of Christ. Thirdly, they will have a compelling, melting compassion for poor, lost sinners. The ministers will. They will recognize that those in the congregation, many of them, are without God and without hope in the world. Multitudes rushing to a lost eternity. There lies beneath its shadow, but on the farther side, the darkness of an awful grave that gapes both deep and wide. And when the Spirit comes upon the minister of the gospel, he will have a melting compassion for poor lost sinners, and he will work night and day, and nothing will hinder him. The comforts of life, the comforts of the manse, nothing will hinder him from getting out and reaching the people with the good news, day and night. And then there will be a fresh view and longing for eternal things in the heart of the preacher. He will long himself to know more of holiness. Holiness. We don't hear much about that today. Holiness. J.C. Ryle's Holiness volume. Read it. Get hold of it. Study it. He will be more caught up with glory and the prospect of heaven and the things of earth will grow strangely dim to him and he will repeat to himself, O oh, sweet and blessed country, the home of God's elect, O oh, sweet and blessed country that eager hearts expect. When the Spirit is poured out from on high, the ministry and the pulpit will be more spiritual, more burdened, more concerned. Until the Spirit, those are the words gripping my heart. Are they gripping your heart? Until the Spirit comes. But then let us think upon the individual people of God, those in our churches, those in the pews, those who come to the church, what happens? What will happen? Well, one of the marks will be when the Spirit comes upon the people, the congregation, there will be a fresh hunger for the Word of God. For the Word of God. Those wonderful words in Psalm 119, I long, I meditate, I will keep, I will delight, I will never forget 
I have not departed. And so we say this morning, O oh, send thy spirit, Lord, now unto me. Unto me, each one of us. I include myself. Send thy spirit, Lord, unto me, that he may touch mine eyes and make me see. Show me the truth concealed within thy word and in thy book revealed. I see thee, Lord. And every time you and I, beloved, will read the Bible in our homes and in the church and in the services until the Spirit comes. It'll only be a book. It'll only be hard, dry. And we shall only be indifferent to it. But things will change when the Spirit comes. Secondly, upon the people of God, there will be a fresh attitude and appreciation, I believe, for preaching. Now, you might think that's a strange thing to say, dear friend, but I believe that with all my heart. When the Spirit comes, there'll be a fresh attitude and appreciation for the preaching of God's Word. At the present time, the appetite is very low in many of our churches and fellowships. Get the hour over as quickly as possible and let us get on our way home. You might say that that's just far-fetched. Beloved, it is true, I believe. Many fellowships. And when the Spirit comes, there'll be a fresh attitude and appreciation for preaching. I read this the other day. Outside an evangelical church, an area that I have visited in the past, and there's this notice. From this church, think of it, from this church there will be mime ministry presenting the gospel message in an attractive style which appeals to people of all ages. Well, I wouldn't want to go to that fellowship without. Mime ministry. Have you heard of such a thing? Puppets in church services. But it can all change when the Spirit comes a fresh attitude, and appreciation for preaching. Days of revival, multitudes sought out men who would faithfully preach all the counsel of God. There'll be a fervent love in the hearts of the people for the Lord's Day. Now you might think this is all strange this morning, fancy bringing such a message, but beloved, it's burning upon my heart. A love for the Lord's Day. And it's missing in many of our evangelical causes up and down the land. It used to be known by our forefathers as the market day of the soul. Isn't that wonderful? Market day of the soul to get replenished, to get revived, to get restored, to get reinvigorated for another week. Fervent love for the Lord's Day, a desiring to never be missing from the means of grace. Blessed day of God, most calm, most bright, the first and best of days, the laborers rest, the saints delight, sweet day of joy and praise. Is it old-fashioned to you? Or oh, when the Spirit comes, in your heart and mind, there'll be a fresh appreciation and love 
for the Lord's Day. We're going to church. We're going to be fed. We're going to be nourished. We're going to be blessed. We're going to come out different to how we went in. Because the Lord will be there through his word and the preaching. Fourthly, there will be a fervent longing for the house of prayer. Did you hear that? There will be a fervent longing for the house of prayer. James Montgomery says, Prayer is the soul's sincere desire, uttered or unexpressed, the motion of a hidden fire that trembles in the breast. When the Spirit comes, beloved, you won't be able to stop the people praying. I don't really think that the Lord is so pleased with our prayer meetings because there are so many people who will come to them and sit right through a prayer meeting and never pray. I don't quite understand it. When the Spirit comes, you won't be able to stop the Lord's people. You might say, well, I'm shy, I'm reserved, I can't put a long prayer together. You don't have to be loved. You just have to cry. Oh, that thou wouldest come and rend the heavens. Just a simple cry. Tell it out. Tell it out. A fervent longing for the house of prayer. There'll be liberty in praying. 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 And then, fifthly, there'll be a fervent love, I believe, and affection between believers. And you might say, well, that's strange to mention that. Surely we love one another. Do we? Do we really love one another as Christ has loved us? When the Spirit comes, there'll be a fervent love and affection between believers. I know of situations where there's been lack of love and some believers have gone down that side of pavement, and if they've met those other believers that once they worshipped with, the other side of the pavement, they'll have nothing to do with each other. And that doesn't please the Lord, and we shall never see blessing. But when the Spirit comes, you only have to read of it in those mighty revivals, beloved, of days gone by, when those of different fellowships met together and loved one another in Christ, and labour together, and pray together. When the Spirit comes, the necessity of an earnest cry, the need all around us promotes this cry, the evidence of a spiritual outpouring, the effect of the outpouring of the Spirit. And fifthly, I must mention this, the tragedy of any denial of such a need. What do I mean, beloved? Well, quite simply, I hope and pray there's no one here this morning who says, well, really, we don't need that kind of message. We don't need that kind of effect, change in our fellowship. Everything's all right. May God have mercy upon us. The tragedy of any denial 
of such a need. To say like the church of Laodicea, we have need of nothing. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? If I were to take this message to some fellowships up and down the British Isles, they wouldn't want it. They wouldn't accept it. They would say, you don't... We don't want that kind of change in our church. And if you and I, beloved, say we have need of nothing, be sure we will receive nothing. It's as simple as that, really. How terrible to have written over a church, over a fellowship, these words. Ichabod, an active church, events taking place every day, this taking place, that taking place, morning, afternoon, evening, active church. But the Spirit of God isn't there, isn't working, isn't effective. If you and I say we have need of nothing, we shall receive nothing. Ichabod, the glory, is departed. I want to just close with this very solemn thought. John Elias, uh, that great man of God in Wales, the 28th of June, records 1831, as he is lamenting the dead state of the church in his day. And he says it, it is a dark night on the church, the depth of winter, when she is sleepy and ready to die, and the Lord is hiding his face in the ordinances, and when only a few are crying out for his appearance, and those scarcely audible in their cry, it is still more awful if while they are asleep that they should think themselves awake and imagine that they see the sun at midnight. Yet such are the circumstances of the church generally. Yea, the darkness of night, I say, is upon her, and she is slumbering, having lost the presence of her Lord, and so unhappy as not to know the loss that she has sustained. So there is a time of self-examination that you and I must face. Have we been leaning on our own supposed wisdom and abilities? Have we been more zealous for our own praise and glory? Have we given God all the praise and honour which he rightly deserves? Are we jealous for his kingdom and for his glory and for the extension of his kingdom and the salvation of souls and the desire to see this building filled to capacity week after week people flooding in to hear the gospel to find the saviour dare we say this morning it's not possible dare we until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high. John Newton and John Ryland, two godly men of ages gone by, came together on one occasion 
and they penned that wonderful hymn. Saviour, visit thy plantations. Grant us, Lord, a glorious reign. All will come to desolation unless thou return again. Oh, revive us, oh, revive us. All our help must come from thee. It happened in the past when Peter preached in Acts 2. Now when they heard this, this preaching, this anointed preaching, this spirit-filled preaching, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? The congregation became restless desperate. What shall we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high. I read these words the other day. Revival is the outpouring of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. And could be called Waves of glory. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, waves of glory. I read the other day the life of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones where he spoke of a certain event that took place which was so wonderful you couldn't fully describe it. And he put it in this way. The gale of the Spirit fell upon us. How wonderful the gale of the Spirit fell upon us. Well, beloved, it may be a strange uh, kind of ministry or word, perhaps you might say, but may it touch all our hearts. And may we more and more long for that day when the Spirit is poured out in the church, in your private devotions at home. I hope you have some. I hope you have some private devotions and with a family around the table until the Spirit comes. And when the Spirit comes, who knows what will take place? Heaven will be opened. A fresh hunger for the Word, a fresh longing for the prayer meeting, a fresh desire to hear preaching. Men on fire for God. Or oh, may it be so. May it be so. Let us pray. You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at gloucesterpres, that's P-R-E-S dot co dot U-K. 